Before I begin today's message, um, as Caitlin just alluded to, um, what, what's, what's been happening in our, in our society, especially the shoot, shooting in SoCal, uh, Laguna Woods, and also the shooting in Buffalo, uh, I just want to just take a very brief time. Uh, I just kind of want to pray for uh, that incident. So let's pray. Father God, um, you've given all the people on common origin, and it is your will that, that they are gathered together as a one family in yourself. But it seems that our corrupt world is filled with anger and hatred. Lord, I ask this morning that would you fill the hearts of all humankind with a fire of your love, with the desires that ensures justice for all. And I pray that, Father God, may there be an end to division, strife, war. And I just pray, Father Lord, that there will be a dawning of truly a human society built on love, peace, and that is in you. And, and I just pray, Father Lord, that, that really, Lord, I know that we, we live in a corrupt world. But Father God, I just pray that in, in the godliness of the society that we have in our churches, may we really go out and become the salt and the light. And we ask all this in your precious son's name we pray. Amen. You know, our, our, our friends call him the dinosaur. Because he's been going to the same church when he was born. Not, he, he wasn't born at the church, but he, he's been going to the same church that, that, that when he was born. And his parents, you know, go to the same church still. I know that there were about two or three years where he had walked away from the Lord. But when he got saved and being born again... He had gotten back to his parents' church, now his church, and now he's serving faithfully for the past, I don't know, maybe say 50 years. And one of the things that I really, really respect about this guy is his servitude. He's always thinking about how I can love my church, his church, God's church more and more and more. And just the other day, he calls me out of the blues and says something very, very profound. And he says, hey, Ben, you know, when I'm talking to my coworkers or managers at work, I get the feeling that they are important. But when I talk to my church people and my church leaders, I get the feeling that I am important. It, it was Eleanor Roosevelt that said, to handle yourself, use your head. But to handle others, use your heart. We are in a new sermon series called God's Playbook, How to Live Godly, in a corrupt world. And today, Paul instructs Timothy, uh, Titus on how to choose godly leaders because, because spiritual leadership is the ability to move God's people onto God's agenda. Spiritual leadership is the ability to move God's people onto God's agenda. And I don't think there's anybody here who would doubt the importance of leadership. 
because leadership is important because they guide changes in the body of Jesus Christ. Whether or not we stay or to go to some other place to worship. Leadership also provides encouragement and um, um, motivations. Leadership also understands what the body needs. It it also creates meaningful ministries in in bringing people together. Just the other day, as I was working on this sermon, all of a sudden I realized my son loved Lego when he was growing up. And one of the things that it would frustrate him is that when he lost one piece, you guys know what I'm talking about? When you guys have kids and, and when you're going through and, and you make sure that all the setting is perfect, right? Because you don't want to lose any pieces. But I don't know why, but every time he would lose a certain piece or multiple pieces, and it really doesn't come out the way that the box looks like. It, it's kind of deformed or kind of, it doesn't look really nice. You know, um, People have been asking, why do we need to come back to church? Why do we need to come back in person? Why do we need to come together as a body of Jesus Christ? Well, well, let me tell you that all of you guys are Lego pieces. All of us are Lego pieces because if we don't come back, right? If we don't come together, (laughs) the the masterpiece or the, the fullness of what God has intended It really doesn't look like what's on the box. So leadership is meaningful because it brings people together. And lastly, leadership provides vision. You know, Helen Keller once was asked, what would be worse than being born blind? To which she replied, having sight without vision. So leadership provides that. And so the Holy Spirit instructs Paul to choose one of his apprentice, Titus, to put, to put him in Crete and giving him instructions on how to appoint certain godly leaders. Verse 5 of chapter 1 of Titus, he says, For this reason I leave you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint leaders in every city as I have commanded you. Now, the Cretan church is about to launch, and Paul shares with Titus the blueprint. Uh, we're calling it the God's playbook. Now, did you see that in verse 5? To set in order. He's giving him instructions and building up the body quantitatively, like training and motivating for evangelism, qualitatively, spiritual growth and to all believers, and organically, the development of leaders and the use of their spiritual gifts. Now, verse 6, um, it talks about domestic leadership. Now, I'm going to skip over this because... Um, the three of us, three pastors, are going to bring it back on Father's Day, and we're going to talk about godly fathers 
in the household. So we're going to skip it. And you know what? Honestly, you know what? I, I really, we, we're kind of behind time. But anyways, we're going to skip it. So verse 7. Let's go to verse 7. For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violence, not greedy for money. Now, did you see the word here up here, the word bishop? Now, it's, it's an uncommon word. But it's another word for elder, overseers. And here he uses it synonymously with the word steward. Do you see that? And so he instructs Titus, Titus, I want you to pick godly leaders, stewards who must be blameless. Now, he's picking these stewards who are blameless. Now, the word steward in Greek means or can be translated into a manager, a word that maybe you know, we're a little bit more familiar with. But in fact, this word steward literally means a manager of a home, a household, or household of God. Now, when you hear the word steward, and I explained to you what the word steward meant, manager of a house, a home, or a house of God. Now, can you think of someone in the Bible that was a very, very good steward? Any names come to mind? I don't know if you guys thought of Joseph. You see, Joseph managed everything in Potiphar's house very well. That when his wife tried to come and seduce him, right? Come here, baby. Lie with me, you know? To a reply, he just simply said, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house and that he has put everything that he has in my charge. You see, Joseph is telling Potiphar's wife, I have a stewardship that I need to fulfill faithfully. Now, something is more alluding that is that he's actually telling Potiphar's wife, hey, look, even if my master won't find out, God is going to find out. Because God sees everything. You know, um, in the beginning of this year, I don't know if you guys remember. Some of you guys say, you know what, Pastor Ben, I don't even remember what I ate last week. Let alone to remember our first sermon. In January 1st, I think it was 1st, Jared came up. And we kind of made him come up. Jared, I, I still remember Jared's sermon. He was talking about how do you hear the voice of God? And I still cling on to that message where he said, you know what? By being so close that you could even hear the whispers that God speaks. You know that God wants to build his church his way so that it won't be shaken in a corrupt world. And he wants to choose those who are walking faithfully and closely by his side. But you know what? Man's criteria for choosing a leader is often, if not always, different from how God chooses someone to lead his people. Often what we may think are important, God says, nah, it's not a big deal. 
And the things that we think are, 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 are not, we just pass it over. But God would put it in the number one priority of his list. Do you remember in 1 Samuel, the story of Samuel where prophet Samuel rebukes King Saul. And now he's off to find the next king in the house of Jesse. And do you remember the story where he sees Jesse's first son, Eliab, And Samuel thinks, surely this is the one who will stand before God. But God says to Samuel, nope. And this is what 1 Samuel 16, 7 says. Do not look at his appearance or his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outer appearance But the Lord looks at the inner heart. You know, God is really, really most concerned with the heart characteristics. Men or women of God who are humble enough to follow. Even if God's leading into a direction that we don't understand. But he or she is willing to follow in full obedience to him. You know, there was a study done by a a group. And they asked church leaders and church people, what is the number one characteristics that you will look in, in your leadership or your lead pastor? And the number one qualification was humility. The reason humility is so important because... That he or she is not willing to follow his own heart. But he or she is willing to follow whose heart? God's heart. And so Paul instructs Titus, I want you to find a steward. Okay. Now he adds something here. He says, I want you to find somebody who is blameless. Now, I want you to understand something, that to be blameless does not mean sinless. Because no one here is perfect. Even though God chose David, right? We know the story of Samuel picking David, right? But David even, you know, you don't want to happen to David, right? I mean, David failed miserably. You see, the word blameless is, is a person who has nothing that can be brought against them without indictment, accusations, or unchargeable, is what Paul is hinting at. But I want you to notice, as he lists list all these qualifications, he lists this qualification, steward who is blameless, on the top. As he begins to list other things in other areas that a steward should not be blamed. So he says, number one, Number one, it says, stewards should be blamed, not that he is quick-willed. Do you see that in in chapter 7? Verse 7, I'm sorry. A steward must be blameless as he's not quick-willed. Now, the NIV puts it, not overbearing. You see, this kind of a person is who arrogantly pushes his or her agenda or agendas over the will of God. 
This kind of a person just wants his or her way, no matter what. This person says, hey, my way is the best way. I've been here the longest. I'm in charge here. I'm in charge of this ministry. And he makes sure, or she makes sure, that everybody knows that I'm in charge by intimidating others, by flexing their spiritual muscles. I'm the boss. Now, once again, what is God's looking? He's looking for humility. Now, some of you guys says, you know, were there people like that in the New Testament or Old Testament? We know, but in the New Testament, if you read in 3 John chapter 1, verse 6, there was a guy by the name of Demetrius, um, Diotropus, who actually was a very, very overbearing minister. And Paul actually writes, actually John actually writes that this is one of the examples. So if Paul instructs Titus, find somebody who's not quick-willed. And the second qualification, he says, not so quick-tempered. Now, it's one thing to be angry about sin, but it's another thing to use his or righteous indignations as an excuse to have just a bad temper. These kinds of people are just mad at everything. And the proverb actually instructs us to be careful as we get mad at things or being angry at people. Because Proverbs 14.7 says, a quick-tempered man acts very, very foolishly. Now, this was really difficult because we've all had one of those experiences and then we got angry. And one of the difficulties about that is trying to salvage what came out of our mouth because we were angry. And just look at your maybe life right now or maybe when you guys were dating or maybe in your newlyweds. I know I sometimes had a hard time because I got angry and the things that I said to my wife, you know what, I got you know what, a week or a month in the couch by myself. The Bible says this kind of people are so lethal that it could actually destroy relationship. So it is to an incumbent for a leader to be balanced in his temper. As Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, it says that a godly leader must not quarrel, but must have a gentle spirit. Third, Stewards should not be blamed. And this one was the hardest one, I think, not given to wine. You know, whenever we read verses like this, people ask the question, hey, Pastor Ben, should Christians drink? Should leaders drink? Now, first of all, Paul never mentions or the forbid of use of wine or teach abstinence. I mean, he even tells Timothy, right? In, in 1 Timothy 5, he says, I, I want you to take a little of wine for medicinal or health purposes. But the flip side, Paul also warns about misuse of believers' freedom in this matter. In, in other words, there are times when it's not profitable even to eat meat, to drink wine, 
or to do anything that might cause a weaker believer in Christ to stumble. If you guys read in the book of Romans, I believe it's like in 13, 14, or 15, Paul instructs the Rome church, don't, 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 don't. But he actually practices, or he says, I want you to do it out of love. So here's the principle. Here is the principle that demands a mature believer to forgo of their liberty and to practice the law of love, self-control, and the profitability within the body of Jesus Christ. And sometimes we actually have issues regarding this, right? Don't we? And Paul kind of instructs the leaders to practice of love, self-control, and to profit the body of Jesus Christ. And fourthly, he names not to give violence. Now, I don't know about you guys, but would you want to pick a leader who is violent? A leader who's always fisting, fighting? Now, that's not what the original intention of this word meant. In the Greek word, actually, it means someone who is describing in his speech or her speech. A violent speech toward fellow brothers and sisters. Now, this is a person who abandons the grace and law of love, shows violent manner against others. Someone who uses a his or her speech to promote spiritual abuse. You know, just recently we were at a conference in SoCal. We were talking about spiritual abuses among the leadership. And this is one of the things. Someone, a leader who uses his speech to promote spiritual abuse. Now, some of you guys say, no, you know what? How can that be? But there are actually people, even Jesus' disciples actually practiced. You guys remember in Luke chapter 9, verse 54? Do you remember when James and John were looking at the Samaritan who didn't want to believe in Jesus Christ. Luke 9, 54 says, Lord, do you want us to command fire down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? You see, when the Samaritan didn't want to believe in Jesus Christ, James and John says, hey, hey, Jesus, master, should we just toast this guy? But I love Jesus' response. The Son of Man did not come to destroy lives, but to save lives. The two of the disciples wanted to zap that Samaritan person, but Jesus wanted to save lives. You know, I, I, I heard of something very, very profound, I believe in a comic book sometime, one, one day. Is, is knife... Something dangerous? Some people say yeah. Some people say no. A knife can be dangerous to a a person who is willing to kill other people. But knife can be a very, very resourceful thing to a person who is willing to save lives. And I believe that's kind of the, the wording that Paul instructs Titus to do. Are the leaders 
saving people's lives with their words? Were they putting them down? And the last on the list, in terms of stewards who are blameless, he puts not greedy for money. This person's sole purpose is to fleece the flock in, in any capacity as an income source. Now, interesting enough that he instructs this, not only to Titus, but also to Timothy as well. Now, remember that Paul put Titus in Crete. And one of the problems that existed in Crete was that the Cretans were very, very highly materialistic. And they were very, very unscrupulous in business dealings. And that they made money any which way possible. In fact, in fact, they considered money highly above humility, honesty, and honor. The Christians attracted to money like uh, beads to honey. Now, in 1 Corinthians 9.11, it says, if we, shown, uh, if we have sown spiritual things for you, it is a great thing if we reap of your material things. Now, Paul here is talking about a false prophet's and their dishonest gains. Those false prophets who are only looking out for themselves. Now, you know what? I want to kind of put it into a spiritual perspective. Do you guys remember in Matthew 9, when, when Jesus saw the flock, the, the sheeps without a shepherd, what did he have on the people? He had compassion. And and Paul is instructing Titus, do people of God, looking at the consensus or even the congregation, the people of God or those people outside, do they have compassion or do they have this kind of mentality say, you know what, that person could lead me to certain, certain amount of X amount of dollars. Or let me put it this way. You know, when we live our Christian walk, I I know it's kind of, it's better that we kind of associate with people that, you know what, we kind of get along with. I feel like what Paul is instructing Titus is that, you know what, are the leaders in the church being around or associated with same kind of people. Because in a later verse, I'm going to mention, are you hanging around with people that are only of your own kind? And I feel like the motivation of each of these characters must be pure. And as steward of God, he or she must be blameless in in these areas that he instructs. So the first thing that he instructs Titus to find those godly leaders is that stewards must be blameless. And he lists some of those categories. And it goes in verse 8. 
He actually lists the second category, second standard, second qualification. He says, verse 8, but hospitable, lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled. And when I look at this verse, I feel like he's looking for those servants who are balanced. Now, let me tell you what I mean. Because in an amplified Bible, it actually amplifies it a little bit more. He must be hospitable to all the believers as strangers, lover of what is good, sensible, upright, fair, devout, self-disciplined, above reproach, whether in public or in private. It's a little bit of a different translation, but the Amplified Bible says he must or she must be hospitable to all the believers as well as the strangers. You know what? When I parse this verses out, I feel like Paul is scribing a leader who is balanced servant of God, who loves God's people, but also loves the strangers and the newcomers. You know, next week, we're going to be um, having a memorial for Jimmy Kawaita. Now, I've never known the person. I've met him twice. And I passed Pastor Kevin and was telling me something great about Jimmy was that Jimmy, when he, when people entered our congregation, he would go and he would shake everybody's hand. Whether you are a member of this church or if even if you were a stranger. And what Paul is saying, a godly servant has a good company and lives a balanced life among his peers and with the rest of the body of Jesus Christ. And so Paul instructs Titus Titus, to find somebody who is a servant who has a balanced life. Now, I want you to hold this kind of a thought and I want you to go few chapters before Titus to 1 Thessalonians, where he also instructs. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4 through 8. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so as we speak, not as pleasing men, but to God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time do we flattering words, as you know, not cloak for covetousness, and God is a witness, nor do we seek glory for men, either from you or from others, when we might have many made demands as an apostle of God, apostle of Christ, but we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother who cherishes her own children. I want you to take a look at that verse 6. As Paul mentions... The word, just as a nursing mother. You know, Paul uses this metaphor as the minister in the body of Christ, as a nursing mother. Isn't it interesting that Paul uses this word? I bet some of you guys have never thought that Paul as a mother figure. Some of you guys really thought of him as like a rugged, tough, and you know, you know, you know, you know, whenever I read this verse, I, I thought of, uh, I apologize. I, I thought of the Marlboro man. I apologize. Okay. This, this rugged guy on a horse outdoor, but you're wrong. He says to the Thessalonian church, I have treated you like a mom. 
you know, two weeks ago, um, Christine from Foster the City came and delivered mother's message for us. You know, I don't know about you guys, but in my home, symbol of tenderness, symbol of caring was the mom. And while I was growing up, you know, dad was always there, but he would always give us orders. You know, go get me drink, go get me coffee, go get me this. But when I wanted warmth, encouragement, cuddling, I would go to my mom. And I would get that from my mom. You see, there's something tender and gentle as a mom. Now, he uses a nursing mom. And Paul is saying here, godly leaders should sometimes be like a mom. But not every time like a mom, right? But he says, if you read in verse 11, verse 11, he says something, as you know, how like a father is with his children. You know, there seems to be a mixed metaphors. Earlier, he says, a godly leader should be described as a gentle as a mom. But now he hears things, you know what? I want you to be like a dad who charges, exhorts, comforts you like a dad. And I believe it's that's kind of the, the metaphor, the idea that Titus 1.8 is describing. I want you to be like a, a nurturing mom, but like also a spiritual father. And he himself says that. Paul says to the Corinthian church, I have begotten you by the gospel. You came through my ministry. I have considered you like a spiritual dad. I have considered you like a spiritual mom. And even Paul says to Titus in verse 4 of chapter 1, he says to Titus, my true child in common faith. So a servant must have this balance. A a godly leader should have this kind of the mother and kind of the father's attitude toward the congregation. But you know what? I think it's also a spiritual maturity to hear the people who have gone before us, who have actually walked in their faith, who have charged us to testify of their own experiences because it actually brings about spiritual maturity. As I said before, we were, the pastors were in a conference uh, in SoCal a couple of weeks ago. And I have never thought that the Japanese American, now I was kind of dunced because our church was started by Japanese Americans. One of the speakers that I really, really gravitated was this guy by the name of Kori Ishida, Pastor Kori Ishida. And the things that he was instructing the younger pastor to do, man, I really, really wanted to, to just sit there and to be taught by the amount of knowledge this, this, this mature pastor had. He he was instructing how the younger pastor should walk, to live, to say. And as I was, I sat there and I was just listening. Man. And I feel like that's exactly what Paul is instructing Titus to find 
those leaders who are balanced. Balanced ministry is to love the people of God, to love the family of God, to be gentle as a mom, but sometimes like a dad who gives strong directional comfort like a dad. So we need to find those godly leaders who are balanced of both. And even Paul says to himself that I have done that with the people that he has shepherded. So the first instruction is that a, a steward must be balanced. Second, a, uh, I'm sorry, a steward must be blameless. And second, he says, servant must be balanced. And thirdly, he says, a spokesman must be believable. Look at verse 9. Holding fast the faithful word that he has been taught, that he may be able to believe by the sound doctrine, both to exhort and to convict those who contradict. Now, I want you to hone in the phrase, faithful words. Now, what is a faithful word? It's the scripture. It's the word of God. Now, the reason he says this is because they were deceivers in in the Christian church. And he, he actually says it in verse 10, 11, and 12. And Paul urges Titus, a mark of a faithful shepherd is that he or she must be a believable spokesman. That they don't tout of their own agendas or opinions, but a spokesman says the things of God. Now, this one also, this was so important that he also shares it with Timothy. If you read in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, he says, Preach the word, prepare in season and out of season, correct rebuke with great patience and careful instructions, my son Timothy. And what Paul is saying, the primary call of the pastor is to study the word of God so that they might teach the people the way of God. And now I told you, the spiritual leadership is moving on to the people of God, onto God's agenda. Well, how is he going to know about God's agenda without knowing what God's word says? For the past two years, I heard Denny mentioning our vision for our church. Making disciples who love God, love people, and who would serve the world. And I really believe that the unbelievers will respond to someone. It may be just a few godly leaders who believes in the truth and they live their life faithfully as a steward according to it. So a preacher must, a godly leader must be a good soldier, a good shepherd, but... He needs also to nourish, defend, and teach. He must have a teeth in his mouth and be able to fight the good fight also. And so Paul instructs Titus to find these godly leadership in a corrupt world. And he says, Titus, I want you to find a steward who is blameless. And he lists all the qualifications or lists some things. And he also says, I want you to find servants 
who are balanced. And he also lists some of those lists. In verse 9, he says, I want you to find a spokesman that you could actually believe. One of the things that I really, really cherish for the people of God here at CLC it really is good thing that, you know what, this fellowship, the body of Jesus Christ. But you know what? What is happening in this world, this corrupt world? People are going to take notice. The kind of godly living that we live in the body of Jesus Christ. This is my mentor that told me, and I, I will never forget, is that Ben... Salt will never be a good salt if the salt is still in the container. Salt needs to cut them out of the the container and to be the salt. It's no use if the salt only remains in the bottle. And I really believe that God has really, really granted us a really, really great community. But they will never take a notice. The world will not take a notice if we don't come out. We don't live faithfully and godly in a corrupt world. And I urge, and I faithfully pray that those of you guys in the Tikval too, wherever you go, I just pray that you guys would let the saltness out of your containers. Let your light shine before others, what God has given to us. Let's pray. Father God, it's such a great joy to have such a great shepherd as Jesus Christ and to have a wonderful God like you to serve. And Father God, as we're going through this sermon series, God's Playbook, how to live godly in a corrupt world. I ask in the name of Jesus that people outside of this world are going to take notice if our salt, if our light really emulates of you. Father, I just thank you so very much for this body of Jesus Christ. But I ask in the name of Jesus, would we hear and we follow in the direction that you want us to go? And may we live according to your wills and your lives. Father, I thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.